Those who trade in stocks and bonds know that insider trading is strictly prohibited. Knowing what the market is going to do in the future would give you an overwhelming and profitable advantage. But what if God would let you in to inside information to discern the truth and avoid the world's deception? Well, Paul wrote very prophetically to his protege Timothy in the New Testament. He said, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, isn't that the truth? It's happening all around us. However, while many are leaving the churches and falling away, other believers are passing through a time of sifting and testing. And I believe God is refining for himself a strong remnant of true believers. And in the midst of the most appalling apostrophe, great and powerful believers are withstanding persecution and doing great exploits for God. Why? We're listening to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. I'm Christine Dark. In the Bible, in the book of Judges, God whittled down Israel's army under a leader named Gideon into a tough band of only 300 fighting men. Thousands were eliminated because they were essentially dead wood. Those who were not diligent, who weren't serious warriors, and the fearful were sent packing. And the Lord is doing a similar work in our day. Due to the COVID new world and general apostasy, the faithful and the fearless, unfortunately, are few, but mighty. There's a meme going around Facebook showing that in times past, churches were like hospitals where the sick were welcomed and ministered to. But today, a person's temperature has first to be taken and mask wearing is essential before they can enter. But I think of the faith of John G. Lake, a missionary to Africa who ministered during a plague with no ill effects because of his great faith. But most concerning in the West is the apostasy, an apostasy that was prophesied by Jesus and the Apostle Paul. In fact, spiritual apostasy commonly observed throughout the Bible is the first of three stages leading to the downfall of nations. After apostasy, the second stage is immorality. And then the third is political anarchy. Well, in the Bible, we'll read the expressions last days, last times, latter times, or the times of the end. The Bible doesn't mean that the world itself is coming to an end. Although the phrase, the end of the world, appears in the authorized version, the phrase is more accurately translated, the end of the age. The Bible teaches that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, but that doesn't mean the earth is going to be eliminated. Rather, it will be renovated. Therefore, there's no such thing, as far as the Word of God is concerned, as the end of the world. 
the phrase, the last days, latter times, or the end of the age, apply to the end of the church age and the arising again of Israel before the second coming of Jesus to rule for a thousand years here on earth from Jerusalem. So when you find this expression, the latter days occurring in scripture, you need to discern that it can refer to the end of the church age and the timeline of the nation Israel. The last days refer to a very definite period referenced by the Lord Jesus in his Olivet Discourse that he called the Great Tribulation Period. We're moving into that time period now, and we're surrounded by all the birth pains of Messiah's coming, and these are certainly days of apostasy. Immorality is broken out of the closets, and ministers in mainline denominations are winking at sin. Most professing believers are just accepting as normal the deplorable state of the church, as if nothing can be done about it. But God the Holy Spirit is still striving with the church, and resisting the Holy Spirit are thousands of men in the ministry who once professed the eminency of the glorious appearing of the Lord. Now they no longer teach it or even act like they believe it. I'm sad to say they are simply apostates. The scriptures admonish us regularly to examine ourselves, to make sure that we're in the faith. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 18:8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I learned that the Greek actually says, will he find the faith on the earth? And the question is couched in such a way that it demands a negative answer, no. Jesus, frankly, was prophesying that he will not find the faith on the earth when he returns. And the hour in which we're living is the beginning of that terrible apostasy. We should be careful not to be taken by surprise by the Lord's sudden appearing. And we have to be especially diligent that we're not deceived. Referring to the latter days of the church, days immediately preceding the rapture of the church, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Remember, latter times in this verse is a theological expression referring to the end days of the church, days immediately preceding the rapture, which will be the catching away, the translation to heaven of all believers. But sadly, many believers are not watching and hoping for that. They're just too comfortable here. Yet the early church greeted one another as recorded in 1 Corinthians 16.22, with Maranatha, meaning our Lord come. It's an Aramaic phrase that remains transliterated in the New Testament. Maranatha means Jesus can come at any moment without delay or warning. But many believers are so carnal and consumed with the cares of this world that the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus is being ignored and even lost in many so-called evangelical circles. Believers who are looking for the rapture are increasingly ridiculed by others who have decided that the Lord's coming will be delayed or should be delayed. 
Yet in Matthew 24, 44, Jesus warned, you also must be ready because the son of man may come in an hour when you do not expect him. Satan comes brazenly disguised as an angel of light to deceive, if it were possible, even the very elect of God. His false doctrines and restrictions are flourishing. Even now, multitudes are being swept away and captivated by corrupt teachers and leaders or media pundits who propagate the most outrageous lies. But an aspect of the good news that I want to share with you today is that we believers have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who gets witness within us to truth. And the Spirit plainly warns us of deceptions. The Holy Spirit's witness within us enables us to know whether something is right or wrong, truth or lies. This is the inside information that I'm talking about. With his witness at work in our hearts, we can discern what is true, what is profane, and what is unholy. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in the assurance that we will not be deceived by error and wickedness. You see, the Spirit's inner witness generally operates on the principle of peace, an inner peace. But when our inner peace is agitated and disturbed, we must always listen to that because you can be sure the Holy Spirit is speaking and alerting us to something. When your spirit is troubled, when there's an inner turmoil, the mature, experienced believer will be certain that God is warning and speaking. Sometimes when I see a professing believer doing wrong, I sense inside me the Spirit's embarrassment or his grief or his anger. And I want to share an example of what I'm talking about. Evangelist David Wilkerson of Blessed Memory was pastor for many years of the Times Square Church in New York City. And he often talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the importance of paying attention to the inner witness of the Spirit. Wilkerson was author of the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, and he was street savvy, accustomed to ministering to gang members and drug addicts. So he was not an ivory tower preacher, but he wrote about a time when a Christian rock group had begged him to attend their outdoor concert. He went and said most of what he heard was merely okay, but he noted that the Holy Spirit abides in believers to guide us and to reveal what's true and what's false. And the rock concert degenerated into gross error. You see, the Holy Spirit speaks within with a still small voice. And that's what preachers used to talk about, of having the witness within ourselves. But we don't hear this truth being preached very often now. In fact, the witness of the Spirit is virtually unheard of in most churches today. Well, describing what's called the witness of the Spirit in 1 John 5, 6, Wilkerson said he felt a deep inner groaning and unexplainable hurt in that rock concert. He said it was the witness of the Spirit showing him the difference between holy and profane. Well, he tolerated the loud drums and the unintelligible music, but toward the end of the concert, smoke machines were turned on and lights began to flash. 
and the crowd went wild in a frenzy. As he looked up, Wilkerson said he could see into the spiritual world and he could see hordes of demons flying off the stage and hovering above the crowd. At that point, he fell to the ground, literally stricken by the Holy Spirit. The witness within him, he said, was crying, this is Ichabod, a Hebrew word from the Bible meaning the glory has departed. Suddenly, Wilkerson said the Holy Spirit took over his voice and he ran to the crowd like a biblical prophet, knocking over chairs and crying out, Ichabod, stop, this is demonic. But nobody cared. And when he got home, he doubled up, groaning and weeping on the living room floor. And he said, never had I felt such grief. His wife was afraid he was sick or dying. Finally, in the midst of his intercessory travail, Wilkerson blurted out to his wife, honey, this is the grief of God. There's a blindness in that ministry. They don't understand what they were doing was satanic. Everyone was clapping, but they should have been weeping, he said. He continued to cry into the wee hours of the night saying, oh God, all those preachers, uh, the staff, the parents, the teenagers, none of them could see that they were operating in the flesh and that Satan was manifesting. He had wondered why he had run through the crowd screaming Ichabod, but quoting John 14, 17, he said, it was the Holy Spirit within me bearing witness to truth, even the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, Jesus said, for he lives within you and will be in you. Amen. I also had a similar experience a number of years ago when somebody came to Jerusalem and set up a tent on the holy Mount of Olives. Prior to that time, our ministry had enjoyed a genuine move of the Holy Spirit for a number of years with a gospel tent on the Mount of Olives that we shared with another ministry. But a man came along from another country claiming that he had been sent by God and he spent a lot of money importing a tent and doing a lot of promotions for gospel meetings. But in the end, it was just one rock band after another. And I'm sad to say from what I heard, it was just a lot of noise, no anointing. The whole thing deeply grieved my spirit because it didn't set a holy example for the Lord on the Mount of Olives of all places. And it was also in the end, just another usurping competitive spirit. Well, we're all creatures of our culture to a certain extent, but with the witness of the Holy Spirit inside, we should be intuitive enough to discern when our culture is going off the rails. You see, in keeping with the principle in the Torah of Deuteronomy 19.15, two witnesses are needed to establish the truth of a matter. The indwelling Holy Spirit combined with the believer's spirit gives a combined testimony to affirm our salvation. And the Holy Spirit has an ongoing witness to our inner being. A man of God, Britain's John Wesley, wrote sermons about the witness of the Holy Spirit. He said the testimony of the Spirit is an inward impression on our soul 
to quote Romans 8, 16, the spirit of God directly witnesses to my spirit that I am a child of God, that Jesus, the savior loved me, gave himself for me, that at the cross, all my sins were blotted out and I am now reconciled to God, his child. God affirms his adoption of believers as sons and daughters through a direct witness of the Holy Spirit within our spirits that we are God's children. But like all believers, John Wesley had to learn this for himself. He and his brother Charles went as missionaries to the American state of Georgia. And during the long sea voyage, their ship was caught in a terrible storm. The English passengers began screaming out loud, but the German Moravian Christians on board calmly prayed and sang hymns. The Moravian's behavior so impressed John Wesley that he approached one of the pastors and questioned him about his people's serenity. The pastor replied, brother, I must first ask you a vital question. Does the spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Well, Wesley was dumbfounded and remained silent. Then the Moravian pastor asked directly, do you know Jesus Christ? And Wesley replied, well, I know he's the savior of the world. True, said the Moravian, but do you know that he has saved you? Wesley could only say, I hope he died to save me, but his words rung with doubt. Eventually, Wesley did receive the assurance of his salvation and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. If he were here today, he might ask us pointedly, does the spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? And what would your response be when we confess faith in the savior and believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible says we are saved. And we should have the assurance of our salvation if we're genuine believers. But as 1 Timothy 4.1 says, the Spirit explicitly warned that in the latter days, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Also, the Apostle John exhorted us in one of his epistles, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In order to test spirits, the gift of discerning of spirits mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one of the most needed gifts today. Jesus' mandate in Matthew 10, 16, that we become wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves, implies that we must develop supernatural discernment. The New Testament gift of discerning of spirits will become increasingly important as we approach the end of this age, because Jesus said deception will be the number one characteristic of our perilous times. The gift of the discerning of spirits is the ability through the Holy Spirit to distinguish between spirits, to discern if someone is claiming to speak for God is actually speaking from God, the gift distinguishes between the Holy Spirit and the working of evil spirits. But perhaps the highest and best use of the gift of discernment is to perceive the genuine works of God. Meanwhile, I want to remind you that all the signs, the birth pains of Messiah, 
are pointing to the soon return of Jesus. Think about this. In World War II, when General Douglas MacArthur withdrew from the Philippines, he issued his famous statement promising, I will return. And millions of persons hung unto his promise. MacArthur's words brought hope of deliverance from tyranny and oppression. And he did return. He kept his promise. Not stopping at Manila, he went on to Tokyo to receive the surrender of Japan. Before the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, I will come again. And his promise is a lot more reliable than General MacArthur. Jesus' promise to return for us has been the hope and comfort of millions of believers for the past 20 centuries. When Jesus came the first time, he dealt primarily with the issue of sin. And to the dismay of the Jewish people at the time, he did not come to conquer governments, but he came primarily to make atonement, to die for the sins of the world. But when he comes the second time, he will conquer governments. He will solve all the thorny political and social issues disturbing this world. The first time he came riding on a little donkey, he will come the second time riding on a white charger. Listen to how John describes the second coming of Jesus in Revelation 19:11. He wrote, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. But also, please understand that the second coming of Jesus is described in two phases or stages. It's like a drama with two acts. It's the same drama, but it has two acts. The first act is what we call his sudden appearing in the atmosphere with the trumpet of God. When the translation occurs, the great catching away or the rapture. In this first stage, Jesus is not seen on a white horse. He just appears suddenly in the clouds to resurrect the dead believers and catch away the living believers. Jesus explained his sudden appearing to his disciples in the 14th chapter of John's gospel. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. That transfer of residency from earth to heaven will be the first phase of the Lord's second coming when he transports believers to his father's house for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But Jesus also spoke of his coming back to earth to establish his kingdom upon earth in great power and glory. And he described the second phase of his second coming in Mark chapter 14, when he was brought before the high priest and was put under oath, being asked, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed? And before the Sanhedrin, Jesus testified of his second coming to earth to rule the world from Mount Zion. He said, I am, and you shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven, quoting the book of Daniel. So we have to understand that Jesus himself spoke of two different aspects of the second coming. The first phase, act one of the second coming, 
is for the church to collect all the believers, dead and living. It is, as Paul said in Titus 2.13, that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. No other event must take place first. He could come today because we're not looking for Antichrist. We're looking for Christ himself. As Paul explained in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then the second act drama of his second coming will unfold upon the earth for Israel when his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives. So please don't be surprised that Jesus' second coming takes place over a period of time. After all, bear in mind that the events of Jesus' first coming took place over a period of time, 33 years. And the events of his second coming will take place over a period of approximately seven years or more. You see, after the rapture, act two of the second coming will begin with a great time of trouble but also worldwide preaching by 144,000 Jewish evangelists who were introduced in the book of Revelation. The Great Tribulation will be an unprecedented time of upheaval, and its judgments are described in detail in the book of Revelation. But thankfully, according to Jesus, the time will be cut short for the sake of his elect, referring to the Israeli remnant who will be saved. Then Jesus will return to earth with his bride, the church, and he will rule upon the throne of David from Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Critics of the pre-tribulation rapture often say, you believe in two second comings, but no, rather the second coming has two stages. So don't forget that when Jesus came the first time, there were many events concerning his birth, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension that all took place over a period of 33 years. Yet all these diverse events were part and parcel of his first coming. The second coming of Jesus will be the completion of his first coming, and he will fulfill all the warrior king prophecies that the Jewish people were expecting him to fulfill the first time he came. But first he came to die to be Israel's and the world's savior, the Lamb of God, a very necessary aspect of his Messiahship. Well, to wrap it up, let's face it, we're living in desperate times. Multitudes in this world are still lost. The tragedy is they don't have clear direction. Perhaps you feel that way. But I'm delighted to tell you today without apology that this book, the Bible, is a compass a roadmap for life. It clearly reveals the way to God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So I want to encourage you in these days of apostasy to ask God to reveal to you the truth about the Savior Jesus, and he faithfully will. Seek the Lord while he may still be found. Amen. 
For more content, please watch our free video library and visit our website at exploits.tv. Let's also connect on social media and don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app to watch our videos anytime on your phones or tablets. Until next time, I'll be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm Christine Darick. Shalom. Sail Away by Christine Darick. 44 years ago, Christine and her husband Peter sold all their possessions to buy tickets on a round-the-world voyage, exploring the Caribbean onto South America, across the Atlantic to South Africa, then onto India, Sri Lanka, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Communist China, and finally Japan and Hawaii. The exploits of that three months at sea are recalled in Christine's new audiobook, Sail Away. Set sail with more than three and a half hours of exploring the world. Sail Away by Christine Darg is now available to download from the audible.com website. So enjoy a voyage of spiritual discovery as you listen to Christine read Sail Away, discovering the Holy Spirit on a world cruise.